father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious. Lord of the Rings, the Star Wars Encyclopedia podcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. And I just got out of the bath. A sound bath, that is. Yeah, you stink. Yeah, of sounds. No, I mean, you haven't taken a real bath in, like, several days. Well, I figured it would be, you know, like, all right, as long as I substituted it with a bath of sounds. I took a sound bath at, like, the local yoga studio, and it was really eerie, and it was, I mean, it was, like, some new-agey white nonsense, but basically it was a bunch of people, like, banging gongs and drums and stuff in the front of the room, and you just, like, kind of lay there in the dark, and... Speaking of new-agey white nonsense, do you have any Lord of the Rings news? I don't. Do you have any Star Wars news? No, not really. All right, well, then let's just jump right into it, because I'm pretty tired. Yeah, it's like 9 p.m. at night in the studio. No, we're recording it at night, which is a bad idea, but we don't have a choice because I have to go to Ohio tomorrow. Okay, stop giving so much information about your life. Let's go. <laughs> okay, I guess that's not what you people are here for. No, they're not. To hell with my life. Let's move on to Lord of the Rings. Do you know, okay, I'm not actually going to tell you what we're talking about today. I'm going to read you a poem about it, and I want you to guess who this poem is describing. Okay. Hard as diamonds, soft as moonlight. Warm as sunlight, cold as frost in the stars, proud and far off as a snow mountain, and as merry as any lass I ever saw, with daisies in her hair in springtime. Sounds like a real babe. Yeah. Hmm. Would you believe me if I told you this poem was talking about Elrond? Elrond's not a little lass. Yeah, okay, you'd be right to not believe me. Would you believe me if I told you that it was talking about Legolas? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I probably would too. It's actually not talking about Legolas. It's talking about Galadriel. Okay, Galadriel. That's a lovely poem about Galadriel. Yeah, that's one that Sam wrote. Really? Lothlorien. Yeah, Sam writes poems like all the time. He's a poet and I didn't know it. Yes. So what do you know about Galadriel? She is an elegant, beyond reason elf woman played by Kate Blanchett in the movies with an unearthly air about her and powerful, but also a little bit scary. Did you know that she was also extremely tall? Kate Blanchett? Kate Blanchett is kind of tall, I think, but Galadriel, I'm sure, is taller. She's six foot four. Wow. Or about 1.9 meters. That's pretty good. For those of you who don't speak American. Yeah. So she is actually the tallest of all elven women on record, if they keep records. I don't know if they keep records, but she is mega tall. And she has a radiantly beautiful visage, and her voice is deep and clear in tone. Uh, but most famous of all is her long, radiant, golden hair. How long is it? Uh, well, it's at least down to her waist. I mean, Tolkien doesn't, like, specify, you know, feet and inches, but it's, 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 it's hella long. Just curious. You know, like, in, in scientific terms, it's hella long. And this is the hair that Gimli asked for precisely three strands of, which she gave to him, if you recall. Yeah, I do remember that. Yes. So Galadriel, as you might remember, was born in Valinor. Mm-hmm. And she was the youngest of the five children of Finarfin, 
and Eowyn. Fenarfin. Fenarfin. Now, Fenarfin was the brother of Feanor. Okay. Who you probably remember as, like, Feanor. history's greatest, not monster, but certainly dick. He's not I a mean, good greatest dick. Like, yeah. he's not a good dude. He's the one who created the Silmarils. And then when they were stolen by Morgoth, he decided that he was going to kill a bunch of the Teleri and steal their boats and go to Middle-earth after the Silmarils. So, like, he's not a good dude. He also did a lot of, like, weird colonization stuff once he got to Middle-earth. Like, just an all-around a-hole. And Galadriel was his niece. Oh, okay. Yes. Now, at her birth, she was not called Galadriel, right? So Finarfin called her Artanis, which means noble woman. Kind of, like, generic, in my opinion. But as she grew, she started to earn herself other names. So... As she got older, she began to compete with other elves in feats of both mind and strength. Now, Encyclopedia of Arda does not specify what these were. So, like, I imagine that the strength ones were just, like, discus throwing or, like, arm wrestling arm, or, yeah. like, something like that. And the feats of mind were, like, Sudoku or, like, Mensa puzzles or those stupid, like, folding up the box visual things. Yeah, she's definitely a member of Mensa. She's definitely a member of Mensa. She surpasses... Almost every elf, probably apart from Feanor in power, and she surpasses even him in wisdom. What a Mary Sue. What she <laughs> Tolkien's Mary Sue. She's my Sue. elf, and she's the best. She's the strongest. <laughs> every and the single smartest. character is in love with her. She's in a love triangle with two boys that both have a question on her, and one of them is really nice, but one of them is kind of mysterious, and she's strangely attracted to him, and he might also be a vampire. But she can also beat both of them up and beat them at puzzles. Yeah, because she's really small. And bodacious. Totally. I'm, I'm totally sure Tolkien used the word bodacious. I'm sure he did. One of his favorite words after, let's see, after queer and, uh, and, and, and high doll, merry doll. Anyway, so she was so good at, at feats of strength and she was so tall that her mother gave her another name, which was Nerwen, meaning man maiden. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch, and also kind of like, way to subscribe to the gender binary heroine. Yeah. That's like, r- girls are allowed to be strong and tall. It's not like a weird thing. Yeah, come on. Like, come on. Like, if you had a son and he was like, you know, into whatever female elves are into, I don't know, like, probably embroidery and archery with like, but like really slender girly bows, would you call him maiden man? If he's short enough, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, the height thing. The height thing, definitely. He's but a manlet. He's a manlet. An elflet. An elflet manlet. Elflet manlet maidlet. Anyway, Nerwin, so the man maiden. No, wait, is that man as in male? Or is it yes. man as Okay. Yes. Because men had not been invented. <gasps> men had not been invented yet. So okay. men just meant male. Anyways, All right. Yeah, All right. they didn't They didn't invent, like, dude, like, like humans. Like humans, yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, however, she ultimately was not known by either the name Artanis, her birth name, or Nerwin, man maiden. Um, most people called her the name Alatariel, which means crowned with a radiant garland because of her golden hair. Sure. And that would one day be translated into Galadriel. Um, Alatariel is like the Quenya version of Galadriel. Galadriel is the Sindarin. Okay, yeah. okay. There was a saying among the elves that the gold and silver of Galadriel's hair had trapped the gold and silver light of the two trees. And then according to legend, this is how Feanor came up with the idea of capturing that light in the Silmarils. Oh, Galadriel gave him the idea. Yes. And now it's also said that at that time, Feanor begged Galadriel for a tress of her hair. Presumably to like put it in some jewels. Smell it. And smell it, which is gross, because he's her uncle, nasty. So she said no. Of course. Because, like, that's just 
some nasty, nasty, nasty goings on. Like she doesn't have like Elf Chris Hansen around to, to like, <laughs> yeah. have a seat. Take a seat. Yeah. And then he was just really pissed about it, like forever. And so there was enmity between him and her, the two greatest of the elves, like forevermore. It's because of hair. Because she wouldn't give him her hair to smell and put under his pillow and stroke gently at night and, you know, maybe also put in some jewels, whatever. Elves gotta figure out better things to worry about. Yes. Now, when Feanor rebelled against the Valar and led a bunch of the Noldor out of Valinor and into Middle-earth, Galadriel went too. And, like, the reasons for this are kind of unclear. Because she was, like, an enemy of Feanor, Mm -hmm. right? Like, she was smarter than him. She was, like, almost as strong as him. And she wouldn't give him her hair. And so he was, like, nigh into that. And so somehow, though, she was persuaded to travel to Middle-earth with the rest of her kin. I don't know if it's just because, like, she was an Oldor and the rest of them were all going. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to be separated from them. Ultimately, her dad abandoned it, so he didn't go, right? But, like, she and her brothers continued to Middle-earth for whatever reason. We don't know why. Once she got there, her mom was the niece of King Thingol of Doriath. Do you remember Thingol? Yeah. He married the Maya, Melian, and she, like, put her magical belt around his forest kingdom so, like, nobody could find it. And, like, that guy, right? And so, because of that, Galadriel traveled to his halls because, like, they were related. And he, unlike Feanor, wasn't trying to, like, you know, cop a feel on her golden tresses. So, at that time, she encountered another relative of King Thingol of Doriath, and his name was Celeborn. Celeborn, I know that name. He was Thingol's grand nephew. All right. So, like, technically him and Galadriel are related distantly, but, like, not really, because... They couldn't get married if they were that closely related because, like, elves were forbidden yeah, from yeah, inbreeding. I'm, I'm done worrying about kissing cousins in this Tolkien. Like, I mean, like it happens so like, often. It's just kind of, you get to sense yeah, it. Yeah, whatever. Think. I mean, they're not cousins. They're not anywhere close to cousins. I, I didn't, like, math it out. But anyway. Don't worry about it. Anywho. So he would be her spouse and companion through many long years in Middle-earth, although it is worth noting he was not as beautiful, as smart, or as strong as she was. He was just kind of, like, her consort. Because who is? Because who is? Ooh, little Miss Perfect Galadriel. So she stayed in Doriath for much of the First Age, and it was there that her name was transformed from Alatariel to the more familiar Cinderin form Galadriel, and is there she also learned to make Lembus. Melian taught her how to make okay. Lembus, so she, like she literally learned how to make it from a god. Dang, that's why that bread was so godly. So that, and also presumably do, why Dewey, shut up. I'm trying to record, buddy. Also, presumably why Gollum couldn't eat it. Because he's an unholy abomination. Hey! No offense, producer Gollum. We had such another round. So you're saying that the bread that the that the hobbits eat. Yeah, it's that, god bread. That's a first age recipe. That's a first age recipe. That's a first age vintage. That's For like, all we know it's been around a, since the like, first age. Uh, she wasn't really involved in the wars of the first age that much. She thought that the defeat of Morgoth was beyond the power of the Eldar, which it was, incidentally. Mm-hmm. The elves could not defeat him. What she didn't count on was the fact that the gods themselves would step in. So ultimately, she didn't have to do anything. So well played Galadriel. Yeah, good for her. At that time, she was offered a pardon by the gods that had come over to defeat Morgoth. So remember, like, the Noldor were banished from Valinor forever, but they saw, like, she was a pretty stand-up dude, and so they're like, hey, you can come back if you want, and she didn't want to because she was filled with pride. Because who wouldn't be if you were freaking Galadriel? She seems like she deserves it. 
Honestly, I don't know. I'm not going to falter for having pride. No, definitely not. That was the first age. This is the second age. So this is the years following the War of Wrath. So she remained in Linden, a place called Linden with Celeborn and the other survivors of the destruction of Beleriand. Because remember, they fell into the sea or whatever. Yeah. uh, Disappeared. And so as those centuries continued, Sauron began to reemerge in Middle-earth. And so at one point, Celeborn had to travel south to help some other sylvan elves, like, craft borks against Sauron's power, right? Like, I don't know, they were, like, digging ditches and Mm -hmm. trenches and, like, stacking up sandbags or whatever the hell they were doing. And so Galadriel did not accompany him on this journey, but the land he visited would later become important, because the land he visited was Lorien, Lothlorien, Uh which would later become her kingdom, right? She went to Eregion. Do you remember Eregion? Mm-hmm. So it's like they were besties with like the dwarf kingdom that was nearby. And they also crafted the rings for Sauron. And then like they figure out he was evil. They're like, we're not going to give you these. And he's like, I'm just going to take them. And See, I didn't remember all that, but I remember the name. Okay. <laughs> well, that's all I can really ask yeah. for because the names aren't that easy to remember. So she went to Eregion. I met with Celebrimbor, who was like the leader there and the one who was creating the rings. And she told him that the three rings of the elves were in danger because this whole rings of power thing was a plot by Sauron. And so she said, we should send them far away from Eregion. And he agreed. And so they sent two north to Gilgalad, who you might remember, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then third, Nenya, the white ring, was given directly to Galadriel. She took this ring through the dwarf city of Khazad-dûm, i.e. like Moria, right? So she passed through there, beyond the Misty Mountains, into a land known as Lorinand. And that, again, would one day become Lorien. But they didn't settle there yet, so they keep, like, passing through it. When are they going to just settle down? When are they going to, like, put down roots? Well, they're still sowing the wild oats at this point. Location, location, location. Location, location, location. Here we come to Lorien. So she stayed in Rivendell for the first few centuries of the Third Age. But in the year 109 of the Third Age, her daughter, Calabrian, got married to Elrond. I didn't know she had a daughter. She did. You you knew this because she is Arwen's grandmother. I guess I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? She is Elrond's mother-in-law and Arwen's granddaughter. Right. Uh, Grandmother. Arwen's grandmother. So her daughter and Elrond are married. Okay. Right? Like, L for L. And so after that, we don't really know, like, what she and Caliborn were doing for 2,000 years. But we do know that they went to Lorien. Just hanging out, looking at each other in the mirror, combing combing their hair, having arm wrestles, you know. Right. Normal stuff, like you do. Rumors began to grow up around her. So to the men who lived in those lands, she was known as the Sorceress of the Golden Wood. And she was a figure of awe and fear. However, she did what she could to aid the peoples of Middle-earth. And she was among the people who founded the White Council. Um, let's see. She also gave some of her magic to Aeorl. Remember the forefather of Rohan? The guy with the, one of the worst names. I don't know how this guy did. Aeorl? Aeorl? Aeorl! Aeorl! So as he was riding to Gondor's aid, mm-hmm. um, she gave him some magical help. So she was, like, good, even though she had, like, this kind of spooky reputation. Sure, sure, sure. She helped out with the necromancer. I remember that from the Hobbit movie. From the Hobbit when he was at Dol Guldur. So she helped out with that. And then in the War of the Ring, we kind of know how that went, right? Because yeah, it was in the movie. Right. In the books. Yeah, exactly. During the War of the Ring, by the way, Sauron sent his forces to reoccupy Dol Guldur. And Galadriel crossed the river 
with Celeborn and many of her people and broke down the walls of Dol Guldur and like totally trashed it. So like nobody's coming back oh, there ever again. Why did they show that part? So, so, uh, I don't know. Like, wasn't really much point. Same reason they didn't show the scouring of the Shire. It was just sort of like the narrative arc. I think in their judgment had kind well, of. Well, yeah, but it sounds cool. Yeah, I know. I think it sounds kind of dope too. I mean, they don't really show her helping to destroy it the first time in in the book, right? Like Gandalf just kind of shows up after separating from the dwarves for a while. He's like BT Dubs. There's some stuff I did. We had to take down this guy called the Necromancer. Mm-hmm. NBD, NBD guys. Alright, so, after the War of the Ring, she traveled to Minas Tirith with Celeborn, and they saw the wedding of Aragorn and Galadriel's granddaughter, Arwen. Then she returned to Lorien for a short time, but, you know, ultimately, she went back to Valinor. Right. Right, from the Grey Havens, with Frodo and Bilbo and everybody, and Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, cool. So that's basically her story. Um, But there are a few variations, because Tolkien always writes, like, multiple versions of everything. A lot of them revolve around Celeborn. Um, let's see. So, like, there's one version where he was already Lord of Lorien, so she kind of married into royalty. That's kind of dumb, because I think she's the important one. Yeah, so, not him. He's, he's second Not him. He's second banana. He doesn't even do anything. He's a trophy husband. Yes. There was another version where he was a Teleri, and Galadriel met him in Valinor, and they crossed the Great Sea together independently of Feanor's journey, right? So, like, not even related to that. But she was exiled anyway because, like, the Valar were kind of in a screw-all-Noldor mood after what Feanor did in that version. Okay. All right, whatever. It's, like, kind of overly complicated. There's also another version where she didn't just travel to Eregion and meet Celebrimbor, but she actually founded Eregion and ruled it herself for many years. And then in that version, Celebrimbor was consorting with Sauron in secret, and he made the Rings of Power without Galadriel's knowledge or permission. Huh, okay. These are all in, in drafts of the Silmarillion, then? Yes. Uh, yeah, or they're the all in just, like, various drafts. Yeah, okay. I haven't read them in the appendix. No, I don't think they're, like, I don't know that they're in any... There might be in some official published version, but they're not the final version. Okay, a few things to note before we're done okay. with Galadriel. So, first of all, I would like to point out that Feanor's request for Galadriel's golden hair parallels Gimli's and also shows us why it's such a big deal that she willingly gives Gimli her hair. That's right. He did, she did do that, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She gave him three strands of her golden hair. She wouldn't even give Feanor one. Three is a lot. Because Feanor is her creepy molesty uncle and Gimli's like an adorable like I mean dwarf. the way she's thinking Gives about like it she's, she's probably like oh he'll probably die before me anyway and I can get those back I mean he, she's gonna take him off his corpse thank you <laughs> thank you yoink just like sticks him back in her scalp if you're an elf giving out presents you're basically just loaning things out Kind of, because you know that person's going to die before you're gonna you. are going to get it back. Yeah, you're going to get it back. Unless you're going to get it to another elf, and then it's like, well, they're going to live forever also, so... Right, yeah. <laughs> if you give, you give gifts to non-elves, you're basically just... You're letting them borrow it for a little while. Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay, another weird thing is that after Gandalf fell in Moria, Galadriel sends out Gwahir, the Lord of the Eagles, to go find him. But this is like... How's Gwahir getting doors? Okay, yeah, so this is really, really weird. So there's, like, a couple things wrong with this. First of all, Gandalf was, like, really far underground. Yeah. <laughs> like, miles underground. So I don't know why Galadriel would think an eagle could get to That's him. That's, like, the last place I think of an eagle being. Yeah, like, oh, he's deep underground. You know what animal is really good deep underground? Eagles. I mean, I guess once he fell, 
after a certain point, it became like the sky again. And he was like, <laughs> he fell all the way through. He like popped out in China and went well, he, he, like, he fell and he fell into a mountain. That's true. He and did. He did. He did. You know, he did. It felt like it was kind of like an underground world, like a hollow earth kind of thing. So, so maybe Guajiro could have like wormed his way down there. If you found a hole big enough for a giant I don't know. eagle. But another weird thing is that when the fellowship show up yeah. uh, in Lothlorien, she doesn't mention that she knows what happened to Gandalf. Or that she's going to send an eagle. She does mention that she knows he fell, but she doesn't mention, like, and I'm sending an eagle on a rescue mission. She's just like, oh, he fell. That's sad. It sucks. Right? And she waited for a full month before sending the eagle. So, like... Well, again, she's an elf. She has no sense of time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and, maybe she figured, like, Gandalf's, oh, Gandalf's a, a demigod himself, so... Mm, that's fair. I guess that's fair. Probably the most convincing explanation is that she herself didn't know that Gandalf survived until after he returned to life, which was two days after the Fellowship left Lothlorien. Okay. So, like, that's a possibility, right? It still doesn't really explain why she sent an eagle to do a mole's work, but... Yeah, doesn't she have other animals? Probably. She could probably, like, send any animal to do her bidding. What about those sandworms you always forget about? I know! I still have to do an episode on those. That's gonna be one of the Halloween ones. Okay. Anyway, that's what I have to say about Galadriel. Cool. Yeah! Interesting lady. She's a bodacious babe. Of the female Lord of the Rings characters, is she your favorite? Oh, by far. Yeah? By far. I love, like, giant women who are powerful and vaguely scary. She's pretty spooky. Like, that is my jam, so I like her a lot. With a weak little husband who doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. All he says is, where is Gandalf? For I much desire to speak with him. Yeah, I like how all of his mentions seems like it's just in reference to Galadriel. Yeah, that's it. He's just like an accessory. He's arm candy, essentially. That's very good. Go ahead. what do you have for me, babe? All right, so you picked kind of a stately woman. Yes. A powerful woman in the Middle-earth mythos. Uh, A woman who stands strong among a bunch of uh, sweaty dudes, which is what Lord of the Rings tends to be. Ah, Sausage Fest is what you're trying to say. Yeah. And Star Wars has a similar problem where a lot of the main characters are boys. Yeah. And so I picked another strong woman, one that doesn't get a lot of play. I'm talking today about Mon Mothma. Oh, Mon Mothma! Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it because her name sounds like Mothman. She's Mom Mothra. Mom Mothra. (laughs) Mom Mothra. Mothra is a mom. Yeah. So So it works. If you don't know who Mon Mothma is, if you've seen Return of the Jedi, you've seen her. Um, She is the woman (laughs) who gives the... Dramatic mission briefing before the Battle of Endor. She has, like, short brunette hair. She's got a white robe on. They actually put her in Rogue One, and she has a few scenes in Episode 3, but I don't think she talks in them. I think... Do they ever say her name at any point? I feel like they don't. I don't think they ever call her Mon Mothma, except in the script. Let's get right into it. Okay. So, as you can tell, Mon Mothma is a human. Yes. Like like a lot of Star Wars people. Not a moth, even though she kind of sounds like she should be Mon Mothma. She is... Yeah, she's not uh, some kind of Rastafarian Mothman. <laughs> yeah. Yo, Mon Mothman. Mothman Mon. Mon. <laughs> we be jamming. Oh my god, that's super offensive. We have to cut that out. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Okay. Uh, she was born in 46 BBY to a family of politicians. So her father was an arbiter general in the current Galactic Republic. What is arbiter? Like a lawyer? An Arbiter General, you know, an Arbiter General. Oh, like an Arbiter General! Yeah, an Arbiter Okay, General. never mind, continue. And her mom was the governor of their home planet, which was Chandrila. Oh, dope. So she was from a, a lineage of politicians. When she was young, she had thoughts of maybe rebelling against her parents and not becoming a politician. She thought, maybe I'll be a historian. That'll really show them. Yeah! Screw you, mom and dad! She even took a year of, of flight classes <laughs> to become a pilot. Ooh, sweet! But eventually she said, no, no, I'll go to the family business. And she became the 
the youngest senator ever to serve at age 19. Whoa! You say eventually? You mean like after a year of rebelling? How she was, long she was like 15 been? when she was rebelling. So. Oh, okay. Although I have to say, I feel like flight school and studying history, those are like two pretty common paths for eventual like politicians, I feel like. Yeah. Don't I you? So. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, eventually Leia did break her record of being the youngest senator. Really? Yeah. But she said it at 19. Sweet. She even got in before Padme did. So wow. good on her. So on the Senate, speaking of Padme, she was pals with Padme. Yeah. As well as Bail Organa. So they, they were kind of chummy on the, on the Senate floor. And she was a champion of local systems rights. She was all about the, the local systems, not the overarching government States control. Rights. States rights. That's States rights. States rights. She championed a movement to halt the production of clone troopers. So she was anti-war. She's a pacifist. Good, good. She signed the petition of 2000, which was a document that she and other senators came up with. In 2000? Yeah, in the year 2000. In the year 2000, yeah. No jerk. Petition uh, <laughs> 2000, a document she and other senators came up with to reduce Senator Palpatine's emergency powers. Oh my god! So she was, like, trying to thwart all the damage that Jar Jar had caused? Yeah, I mean, they, they saw that he was kind of gaining more power than he should have, and the war was almost over, so, you know, let's all sign this document, send it to Senator Palpatine, as a lot of different clauses in there like okay go back to your regular role as the chancellor we'll get rid of that new office you brought back the moths because it basically makes all of us senators worthless because moths are basically just the same thing but but stronger and as we all know palpatine went along with it and gave his power willingly yeah as tyrants do like all fascist leaders all fascist leaders once you give them absolute power they totally are willing to give it back yeah so he did that so it was really successful petition 2000 was a grand success and nothing bad ever happened you're being sarcastic aren't you i am so after the empire was formed she and bale had to fight the power from within this broken system that they were now part of because the senate you know it was it was weakened they couldn't really do that much she openly defied the emperor and called for Senate oversight on imperial operations while trying to get relief to local systems. So she was openly saying, hey, we've got to keep an eye on this empire business because the Senate was still around, but it didn't have a lot of powers. It's kind of like a playing the part and not really actually doing anything. It's like a puppet a legislature. Puppet, right, but it didn't actually have any powers up to the emperor in the end anyway. So yeah. she's like, we got to keep an eye on this stuff. we got to make sure that he's not sticking his nose where he shouldn't <laughs> and goofing up systems where they shouldn't be. He stuck his nose. Ed. There was like... Literally no place that didn't have his nose in it. Yeah, so nearly every time she tried to do something like this, his nose got in the way and she was stopped. But she tried, damn it. She tried. She tried. She tried. What did you do? Did you try? I don't know. She tried. She's not like some politicians I know who just sit around and 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 talk big, but then acquiesce and 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 sit on their hands because of decorum uh, instead of actually doing anything to change things. Partisan deadlock and all trying to be so polite to each other instead of getting things done and out of touch with the common man. Which politician are we talking about? (laughs) Good question. It's all of them. All of them, you centrist tools. Anyway. (laughs) Wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right. Anyway, continue. I don't even have anything to argue against that. Don't even. What are you doing? I I don't have any disagreements to make. It was just a very strong statement. Anyway. Yeah. During this time, she took to tutoring Bale's adopted daughter, Leia, in diplomacy and politicking. So a lot of where Leia got her stuff is from Miss Mon Mothma. Cool. Finally, Palpatine had enough of this mouthy senator and her her resistance movements and tried to have her arrested. She managed to dodge this arrest, but became a fugitive of imperial law as a result. And so she had to lead the rebellion full-time underground and became the organization's public face. So in this role, she became kind of the de facto leader, her and Bail Organa. 
And she helped to write the Declaration of Rebellion, which was their statement they made to the Empire. Declaration of Rebellion. I have it here if you want to hear some. Did Nicolas Cage ever steal it? Uh, Yeah, there was a treasure map on the back. There was a treasure map on the back. Okay, I kind of figured. Anyway, yeah, I want to hear it. So we, the beings of the Rebel Alliance, do this day send forth this declaration to His Majesty the Emperor and to all sentient beings in the galaxy to make clear to all the purposes and goals of this rebellion. We firmly acknowledge the importance and necessity of the institution of the galactic government. We accept that all must subjugate themselves to that government, giving up certain rights and freedoms in return for peace, prosperity, and happiness for all. We believe the galactic government derives its power and right to rule from the consent of the governed. We believe that, should the rights of free beings be willfully and malignantly usurped, it is the unalienable right of said beings to alter or abolish said government. We believe the Galactic Empire has willfully and malignantly usurped the rights of free beings in the galaxy, and therefore it is our unalienable right to abolish it from the galaxy. So they... It's basically like the Declaration of Independence. Oh, really? Just, like, reword it a little bit. Is that what it is? I also really like the fact that it has, like, random capitalization like they did. Is that what that is? Like, they just did that because, like, they were weird and the rules of English weren't standardized. It's not a thing you have to do in every declaration. It's exactly like that. Yeah. It's exactly like that. Um, Also, you don't have to call him your majesty, all right? Again, he's like a dick. You're rebelling against him, so like, don't be polite. Just be like his dickitude. It's all about decorum. But again, that's again from the Declaration of Independence talking about your Majesty. Yeah, right, right, right. So she helped write that. Again, this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So if anything, the founding fathers copied Mon Mothma. They did. I always suspected. So she was quite influential within the in the rebellion. Obviously, she was the one who actually was uh, responsible for getting the X wings. <laughs> oh yeah, in the rebellion. How? Well, so there was a designer who designed the X-Wings for this company, and there was prototypes that were on a a shipyard planet, and she ordered the rebel spies to go and steal those prototypes, and in the process, recruit the designer to the rebellion. And so he joined up, and he made their six T-65 X-Wing starfighters that the Empire couldn't quite match. They only had six of them? I said the sick T-65. Oh, okay. Just got out that part then. <laughs> okay. She also was in charge of getting the Death Star plans by organizing the Rogue One mission, as we saw in the movie Rogue One. Rogue One. It had a different story in, in the legends, but she was still responsible for leading that mission. Good. Uh, Ramus Antilles, we talked about him a little bit last week. One of C-3PO's masters. Yeah. The captain of the Tantive Four. The guy who got choked out by Darth Vader. She, he was her right-hand man. Oh. Until he got choked out. Of Until course. he got choked out. After Alderaan was destroyed, Bail Organa was not around, obviously. He got, you know, vaporized. Yes, he did. So no one was there to kind of counteract Mon Mothma. They were kind of the, the two leaders, right? Right. And once he was gone, people, was got, just her, people got worried that she was going to use her, her, her power to become, you know, just the same as the Emperor. Just become another dictator who was authoritarian and just wanted to control everything. But so, to show her commitment to the democracy that she was trying to win, she made her position of chief of state subject to vote within the rebellion every two years. Ooh. But she was never challenged. Good on her! Oh, so she was like, anyway. They loved her, yeah. Oh, that's great! Yeah. That's great! So, so yeah, she's, she is called chief of state at this point. Chief of state. That's, like, nice and vague. It is. It is. And this alliance to restore the, the, the republic. That's what they're called. So, like, when the republic is restored, is she going to be, like, the president? Well, that's kind of the idea, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So before the Battle of Endor, like we said, she gave the mission briefing. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Admiral Akbar, please. Which is weirdly her only screen time with any dialogue in a Star Wars movie. 
Until Rogue One came around. Wow, yeah, come to think of it, I don't remember her talking in any other one. She's only on screen about 36 seconds. Wow! Yeah. But she's like a major character, apparently. She is huge in the extended universe, but as far as the movies go... Well, she... For all you know, she's just like this random lady who walked in and... Yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm pretty good at giving speeches, let me take a crack at so it. So they gave her some more lines in Rogue One... And they gave her uh, an un... I think she doesn't speak in episode three. There were scenes where she talked in episode three, but they cut those out. Aww. Um, young Mon Mothma. But again, I feel like those scenes were only put in there because she became such a huge thing in the extended universe. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. So this is kind of where the, the timeline split off a little <laughs> bit between Legends and canon. Yeah. So in the Legends canon, after the Battle of Endor, obviously the Empire fell. Hooray. She became Chief of State of the New Republic. And she was kind of this figurehead who went around trying to win back all the systems, you know, one at a time, having them join this new republic. Yeah. During this time, she made time to officiate Han and Leia's wedding. Aww. Well, that's nice. So unlike her years in the Alliance, Mothma did not stay hidden in safety. So she was out and about, showing her face, making herself known to the galaxy at large. There was one incident at a diplomatic visit to Coruscant, Ambassador Fergan... Who's another ambassador? Fergan. He sounds like a jerk, doesn't he? Fergan. He and Mom Mothma didn't see eye to eye. And by the end of their meeting, he threw a drink in her face. Oh, you don't do that. But here's the thing. It wasn't a drink at all. It was liquid nanomachines. Oh my god. Wait, is this like the Michael Crichton book Prey? They're going to be nanomachines that replicate till they form the shape of a man and drive a car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what happened, right? That happened in Prey. No, I know, but it happened in Star Wars too, No, no, right? no. They, they went into her system and started infecting her, making oh, no. her sick. Oh, no. And so she had to resign from her post as chief of state as her condition worsened. No. She guided the council to appoint Leia as her successor in office. Thankfully... A Mon Calamari Jedi, whose name I don't have in here, was able to cleanse her body of the nanomachines and she was okay. But at that point, she decided, okay, I've, I've bled it long enough. It's time for me to move on. Time for me to... Retire and retire. Make, a, make, a, make a library named after me and maybe take yeah. a painting. Yeah, teach him how to, how to say goodbye. Yeah. One last time. time. That's her. <laughs> that was her. That, that was, was her. her. That's what inspired it. By the way, how did he cure her of the nanomachines? With the force. Did, oh, okay. I was going to say it would be funnier if he's like, the only thing that can beat a nano machine is a micro machine. And he set up like one of those sweet like plastic car loops and like, <laughs> like, like set a bunch of micro machines down her gullet and they had to like and kill the, all the nano machines. And the nano machine's like, ah, sweet, cool cars. I'm going to drive. And they all jumped in and like drove them out yeah, of her body. Getting losers, I'm driving. I think that's like what should have happened. So she has some more things that happened after she got better. She's kind of in the background at this point. Mm-hmm. In Legends continuity, she died quietly in her sleep in 24 ABY. That sounds fair. She thankfully missed the Yuzan Vong invasion. Oh, well, good, because that was dumb and way too goth. I mean, there's very few characters in Star Wars who have this nice, simple death. Yes. So, good for her. The New Republic named one of their new Star Destroyers after her. Cool. Yeah. So the Mothma or yeah, something Mon like Mothma. that? Yeah, Mothma. Sweet. So, basically, she's in every single book that comes out. That takes place after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. In the extended extended universe. She's never like the protagonist. She's never the main character. Right. But she's always there. She's always giving missions. She's always like in the scene when there's a when the new republic's around. She's always a major player, but she's never like the main character. But always she, a bridesmaid, never a bride. Pretty much. But she's always like, you know, in every book, even the Jedi Prince series, remember she was a part of Spin. <laughs> oh my right? Yeah. Even in the kids' books, she makes it in. Not a character kids were going to gravitate to, but she she managed to just stick around a long time. I gravitated time. toward her. 
Yeah. I don't gravitate so much towards, you know, skin. Ken. Yeah, Ken. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, Ken was a, a disease. But yeah. anyway. So in canon, she actually showed up in a few Clone Wars and Rebels cartoons as a young lady. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and... There's a bunch of new stories in the Disney comics. I don't really know them. She leads kind of a similar arc, it seems like. Uh, she leads the New Republic. She falls ill and retires. Um, in this case, though, when she falls ill and retires, it kind of splits the New Republic into this this chaotic mess where there's two different factions who develop, the, the, the populace and the centrists. Oh, the Whigs and the Tories? Kind of. So the populists are people like Leia and, and the the resistance where they become. And the centrists are all about like central government and having like a big one. So they kind of become the First Order supporters. Yeah. And Leia's obviously become the resistance. And that's a direct result of Mon Mothma, you know, getting sick and resigning. Oh, no. And so we don't really know where she's supposed to be in episode seven and eight. We can assume she's either like retired on a beach planet somewhere or or dead, I guess. Jeez. Because these, these new movies take place in like thirty four uh, ABY. So, so thirty four years after she'd be like she'd be like Star Wars. she'd be like ninety years old. That's pretty old. But then again, like presumably they have good medicine. Like they're you know pretty technologically advanced. Yeah. And Palpatine looked like he was about three hundred. Well, so. she, she died at age um, seventy eight. Oh, that's pretty young. In Legends seems continuity, like, seems like it would be kind of young, right? For an advanced society, yeah. So she lived a little bit, maybe a little bit longer well, maybe. canon. Maybe. So I have a, one little thing that was mentioned I thought was kind of interesting. Mothma showed her personal support for Leia after it was publicly revealed that she was Darth Vader's daughter. Oh, yeah. I imagine that would have led to some kind of backlash. But she indicated to Leia that she might have known well before the announcement, which is... What? What? Mothma, what the hell? Well, if you remember, in episode three, she doesn't talk in that movie, but she's hanging out with Bail Organa a lot in that movie. So you think Bail Organa? Might I think have... they're. I think she's like there. I mean, honestly, because like that's entirely possible. There's the twin babies on board the Tante Four. Why didn't she say anything? It's probably awkward, right? I guess, but like, wouldn't you want to know? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But anyway, that that's the story of Mon Mothma. I have some behind the scenes stuff. Ooh, is... lay it on me. So Mon Mothma is played by Carolyn Blakiston, who I don't know, but she's. Pretty prominent in British TV. Most okay. recently, she was in the show Poldark, which I haven't watched. But Poldark? Poldark. I don't know it. The first person they had chosen for Mon Mothma couldn't do it. And so they had to pull Carolyn Blakison, who was working in Manchester at the time on a yeah. TV show, and said, Hey, Carolyn, can you do us a favor? Come do this one scene with us. We promise it'll be quick. And she's, Okay, that's fine. And so she was brought in the day of, and she had some lines she thought she had beforehand, but then when she got on set, they're completely different. She had a new monologue she had to say, <laughs> talking about Bothans and Death Stars and operational weapon systems, and she, had, <laughs> and she had to memorize it the day of. But she pulled it off. Good for you! Hey, Carolyn! Hey! Good on you! Though it did mention that she had to go back and ADR her lines because it was discovered that they could hear pigeons in the scene. Oh, great. So after all that, she <laughs> yeah. could just read it anyway. Yeah, there are pigeons living in the rafters of the sets, and they could hear them during her So take. she's, like, giving this stirring speech. She's like, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, she didn't much to go on. All she had in the script was that Mon Mothma was, was a beautiful middle-aged woman who looked stern. So she had to kind of a think of... middle-aged woman who looked stern. That's basically what it says. And it is, like, essentially what she is, so... And so she had to think about, what does this mean? And so her, in Carolyn Blakison's mind, she interpreted Mon Mothma to mean moon mother. Oh. And so she kind of saw Mon Mothma as the mother of the rebellion, kind of cool and calm and also comforting. I like that. So that's how she came to understand the character in that one scene. 
Just she, based on this name that, like, I'm sure George Lucas pulled out of his oh, ass. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. She's actually aware of Mon Mothma's continued legacy. Oh, yeah? In the universe. She's kind of intrigued by it and amused by it. She believes it's because of the strong personality that Mon Mothma possesses. Yeah. And she kind of sees Mon Mothma as an archetypical figure similar to Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Cool. So she, she's aware that the fans know who she is. And she thinks super, you know, it's like, she was in it for 30 seconds. She's like, cool, I did this scene in like a day, but if you guys are really into it, that's cool. Yeah, when Young Mon Mothma appeared in episode three, uh, Carolyn Blake is next year wrote a letter to George Lucas saying, hey, I could play Mon Mothma's grandma if you want. Yeah. She was 85 at the time. Or not 85, she's 85 now. Yeah. Um, she was an old lady at that point, and he, she didn't get a response. Oh, he, he didn't even respond to her? No. That's annoying. I'm very annoyed. Yeah. Come on. At least freaking write back. Jesus. I know. George, come on. Come on, George. Come on, George. The last George? paragraph of the Mon Mothma article is classic Wikipedia. Okay, let's hear it. Does it talk about how ripped her, uh, her, her, her leg muscles are? No, no, no. It has something to... It's similar. Actually, it has a parallel to your Galadriel article. Oh, yeah? kind of fun. I didn't realize this okay. until I got to it, but... While sources like the defunct official databank of StarWars.com and the new essential guide to characters gave Mom Mothma's height as 1.5 meters, both actresses who portrayed her are actually taller. In Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, Mothma was seen standing next to Crix Maydeen, who was confirmed to measure 1.7 meters tall with just as tall as him. Mothma's clone card on StarWars.com, however, listed her height as a more realistic 1.7 meters, despite the official encyclopedia hosted on the same website still gives her height as 1.5 meters. Oh, well, thank God you cleared that up. Like, thank God. 1.5 is quite petite. Yeah. But anyway, I would just like to say that it's a very pointless paragraph. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. You pedants. Good lord. So lucky for us, I was able to get Mon Mothma on the phone and do a quick interview with her. You know, like, she's willing to speak her mind. Yeah. And frankly, I wish we were too. She's not some wishy-washy centrist. No, 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 no. And so, yeah, here's my interview I had with her. I think you'll find it really interesting. Uh, it may get a bit saucy, just so you know. So okay. I'm just like... Oh. It came back, okay? Yeah. Just hold on to your butts. I'm holding on to all of my butts. All right, I'm on the phone with Mon Mothma. Uh, hi, Mon. Uh, can I call you Mon? Miss Mothma? Uh, what's going on? The Emperor's made a critical error. <laughs> well, yeah, starting the Empire, I would call that a pretty critical error. Is there anything else going on? The Emperor's brought spies by the Bothan's location of... Wait, he did? The Emperor himself... Well, that's unheard of. What happened next? Bothans eat spies. Well, I mean, that's usually what you do with pies. Many Bothans died. Oh no, that's, that's terrible. The Emperor eats the Bothans. How? The Emperor's made a pie. A Bothan pie? The Emperor eats pies. My god, what a vicious cycle. The pie is most important of all. Yeah, that's just insult to injury. Uh, do you have any words for the Emperor? The Emperor's new purse is taggy. Okay, that's that's a little petty. Talking about his purse. The emperor's a critical error. Mon. Uh. The emperor's fine. Not. Wow, wow, harsh words. Uh, anything else you want to add? The emperor's pissed himself. Thank you. So I mean, yeah, as you can see, we got really deep into it. It's quite a situation over there. Yeah. Wow. Jeez, I didn't realize that she was like just gonna be so petty. She's just pretty laying into the emperor like she's on a reality TV show. You gotta say he deserves it. Well, he does. His purse is pretty tacky. He does. It is the worst. It is the ugliest purse I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, don't tell him I said that. So yeah, that wraps up our coverage. But now we have to go into our other segment, the worst. Name ever. The w- 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 worst name ever. That was good. Yeah, I just made that up. That was really good. A good yeah. theme song. 
So worst name ever. So last week we had two contestants, and if you don't know what this is, we're pitting the worst names of Lord of the Rings and Star Wars against each other to make a contest of the worst name of either either universe. Yeah. Find the worst name of all. Really elegantly put, Ryan. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I'll, I can do that again. Um, no, I like it. We're keeping it. So this first inaugural week, we had Kirk Windjammer from Star Wars yep. facing off against Fatty Lumpkin from Lord of the Rings. It was a heated battle. We had polls across Facebook and Twitter and elsewhere, and I think the results are in. Yep, it looks like Fatty Lumpkin has bested Kirk Windjammer by a margin of two to one. That's pretty good. Congrats, Fatty Lumpkin. Fatty Lumpkin is going on to this week's round. So to challenge Fatty Lumpkin, I realize Kirk Windjammer, <laughs> some people might think that's a cool name. I mean, I think some people did. So I got a name that no one's going to think is cool. Oh, try me. Okay, so there's a Jedi Knight yeah. in the Clone Wars. Yeah. And his name is I'm a Gundai. <laughs> Cool. It's I M A G U N D I. I'm a gun guy. And guess what? He dies. dies. <laughs> what does he now? Yeah. Hey Ryan. Yeah. That's cool. Are you sure? That's that's real cool. I think the best thing to challenge a stupid name like Fatty Lumpkin is an equally stupid name. I'm a gun guy. I'm a gun guy. I'm a gun guy. <laughs> that's my challenge. That's my new competitor to enter this fight. I'm a gun die. Okay, guys. So we live in the United States of America, or maybe you don't. But anyway, you probably live in a democracy unless you don't. But anyway, act like you do and vote in this because your voice counts. Yeah, Mon Mothma would say, hey, democracy needs you. She would probably also say not voting for democracy is tacky with the pies. Yeah, some about pies and bothins. Some about pies and bothins. Anyway, yeah, so we need your help. We need your help. Thank you for everyone who voted the first round. I'm looking forward to see what happens this next round. So, you know, I'm hoping for, like, for Fatty to sweep it again. Yeah, if you guys have any suggestions of awful names from either either world, you can send them along to us, too. We'd be happy to include them in upcoming competitions because we could always use more terrible, terrible, terrible names. We could also use more visits to our website. I mean, like, we already got so many, but you can... Never have too many. So it's www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. That's the website. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter. We have a SoundCloud. We have an Apple Podcasts account. Please go on those things. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Give us a, a like or a little heart thingy on SoundCloud. Give us a rating up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever your podcasts are sold. Let us know if you do so. If you rate us up. I would love to hear about it. We have eight, count them, eight reviews now. Oh, nice! I remember I was complaining about seven before. Now we got eight. Now we got eight. Now we got eight! And you were getting mad at me. Complaining does work. Well, I was I was embarrassed, but now that we have eight, I'm not embarrassed anymore. Because that's a good, robust, that's a handsome total. We have approximately more than seven reviews. <laughs> so I think we could do even better than that. I think we could. Let's see. Let's see. Can we go for as high as nine? Approximately. Approximately nine? Yes. All right. Well, thanks, folks. That'll be it for this week, but we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.